This is the business of sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. From a macro standpoint, I think our sport industry is really forced to look at the business a little bit differently. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Who wants to be the sacrificial lambs that shows up at the first big major sporting event? We're part of something much bigger than sport right now, and the health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. Over the next hour, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. And today, we're looking forward to speaking with Nigel Eccles. He's the co-founder and the CEO of the sports chat app Flick. He's also the co-founder and former CEO of fantasy sports and betting platform FanDuel. We're going to talk to him about how sports fans are increasingly engaging online, the company's fundraising efforts, its path to that magical monetization. That's all straight ahead. But first, let's talk about some of the top stories of the week, guys, and timely. Uh, one of the top stories of the week is the business of sports betting. Uh, it really came to the fore because it was an election week. You have states getting on board. Let's hear what Matt King, the current CEO of Vandal, had to say just last month about what's going on. Most of our business is done at the local level, so we're most focused on each state. Um, and what you're seeing is, you know, frankly, two things. One is states obviously need money. Um, COVID has had a horrible effect on state balance sheets. And then sports betting has been around for a number of years now. And a lot of states are understanding that it's really just common sense legislation to allow mobile sports betting. Uh, it raises tax revenues and it puts an illegal market out of business. And so we're seeing more and more states express interest in passing laws around online sports betting. So Lynchy, I mean, clearly he's got uh, he's talking his own book, literally uh, here, but he's not wrong in in the sense that states need money, and this has become a very clear way to make it and and make it pretty quickly. So that has to account for some of the enthusiasm here, right? On election day, Maryland, Louisiana, and South Dakota overwhelmingly approved sports betting, and now we're up to 25 states. Now, two years ago, the Supreme Court said it could be legalized. It was up to the states. Now half of the states in the union have legalized sports betting, and it won't be long before all 50 are going to have it. Degenerate gambler uh, extraordinaire <laughs> Michael Barr, this is good news. It's good news, but I hate to, to burst Mr. King's bubble because he said, well, it's going to put the uh, legal part of it out of business. No, it won't. And for one simple reason, because and the, the experts illegal have said part, it, the illegal part, yes, yeah. All right. and because yeah. it, they will, the bookie will float you alone, and that's not going to happen on the websites, hmm. uh, and and that's the main reason why I believe the bookies are going to still survive. But and I get exactly what he's trying to say. It is going to put a dent in their business. Yeah, I also wonder, you know, sort of post-pandemic, uh, kind of where we go. I mean, we're not anywhere close to post-pandemic right now, but whether some of the enthusiasm that's been generated from the fan side is owing to the fact that they can't be in the arenas, in the stadiums, and, uh, you know, right up on the action. We're going to get into that much more with Nigel Eccles. He's the co-founder and former CEO of FanDuel. He's also got a new business. It's called Flick. In the meantime, uh, one of the games that was able to be played, one of the sports that was able to be played, was the NBA. Uh, ratings were down, but it was successful. Here's what the MVP 
and champion himself, LeBron James, had to say right after he won the chip. And I think one of the biggest things, um, not only, besides the social injustice and all the things I mentioned, we had zero positive tests. We had zero positive tests for as long as we were here. 90-some days, no positive tests. That, that is, that's a success for, for everybody um, that was involved. So that, of course, is LeBron James, the MVP of the NBA Finals and leader of the championship, L.A. Lakers. Uh, he's going to be back on the court really soon, guys. And it's a different world depending on who you are in the league because the Lakers, they just got done playing. But uh, a team like, I don't know, the New York Knicks, they haven't played in months and months, Lynchy. So <laughs> how worried are you that they're sort of chasing dollars here and, you know, maybe not thinking about the health and safety of the players. Well, consider the eight teams that didn't make it down there, including your Atlanta Hawks and mm. uh, I think Michael's Detroit Pistons. Um, they haven't played, you know, for a long, long time. So only two teams actually went to the finals. Now, the NBA wants to start before Christmas. They've already approved it December 22nd, a 72-game schedule. By starting December 22nd, as opposed to Martin Luther King Day, it's worth anywhere between a half a billion to a billion dollars to the NBA. And I think that's your answer why yep. the owners want this thing to start before Christmas. And Christmas Day is a big viewership day for the NBA. That's right. And Michael Barr, I mean, this is certainly about money, but it is going to be different because they're not going to be in that bubble per se. They're not going back to Disney World. The ideas that they will play without fans in their home stadiums they may have they may go to sort of a baseball model where you play a series so you're minimizing travel a little bit it's going to be tricky never mind the old joke about uh, the Knicks and Pistons haven't played in months they haven't played in years <laughs> but that's another story <laughs> altogether uh, well <laughs> but it, it, the, I, I like the the bubble part of it and now they're going to be out of that and I and I'm sorry to to pass judgment but you're talking about Young men who have a lot of money in their pocket, somebody is going to go to the nightclub and something's going to happen. And the next thing you know, the whole thing is going to be shattered. I hope they keep their behavior in check. I worry about that. Yeah, I mean, I worry about it, too. I mean, we've certainly seen a little bit of that in the NFL. But with the NFL, you're talking about a lot more uh, – personnel, candidly, a lot more people uh, involved. The NBA knows what the the right behavior is supposed to be. But I take your point. You know, they were in a bubble uh, beforehand. And as you heard LeBron say, no positive cases across those 90 days. Uh, We're also going into, uh, you know, we are in a much more dangerous time when it comes to the virus, for sure, through these winter months. So here's hoping that the NBA figures it out. But as we all know... the, the money is driving this in, in many ways. And, uh, and you said it, we're, you said it, Lynchy. I mean, billions of dollars at stake. Uh, if they can get this right and get the, uh, the product back on the court, because uh, without fans, uh, they need to figure out a way to at least get people to watch it on TV. Yeah, they're going to have the draft on November 18th. They're going to go to camp December 1st. So, I mean, they're going to be practicing for three weeks before they uh, tip it off on December 22nd. Today, we're happy to be speaking with Nigel Eccles. He is co-founder and CEO of sports chat app 
Flick. It is new and co-founder and former CEO of fantasy sports and betting platform FanDuel. Heard of him. So, Nigel, so much to talk to you about uh, here on a Wednesday. That's when we're taping this. The world is a little bit in flux, but uh, here we are. And we love talking about sports and the business of sports. Tell us a little bit about Flick. Yeah, great. Well, especially thanks for having me on. Um, so, Flick's a, a chat platform for sports fans. Um, it's basically what we felt there was a space where sports fans could hang out, particularly during live games, uh, where they can chat other fans the same team, they can cheer, they can trade predictions. Um, and we just sort of felt that there was nowhere else really good for that to happen uh, right now, and there was an opportunity to build something for that. Since the election, I can say this, that at least three states have voted to legalize sports uh, in Maryland, uh, South Dakota, and also uh, in Louisiana. And I just wonder, with your app, what can it do to help uh, raise revenue for you? And where do you Mm -hmm. see uh, sports betting going? Uh, Because those uh, some sites like uh, DraftKings... They went up uh, in trading. Flutter, yeah, that yeah. went up yeah, also, up all because of it. Yeah, so th- 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 they're significant, and, and one of the things that's significant is we're now over 25% of uh, U.S. states have legalized sports betting in some form or another. Now, not everywhere has online sports betting. I'm, I'm calling here from New York. Uh, we have sports betting. You wouldn't know um, because they're in casinos upstate we don't have online sports betting. But we're actually we're above the 25 uh, or at the 25 state mark. Um, sports betting still early. Uh, last year, uh, I think uh, total revenue for their operators about half a billion. This year is going to be over a billion dollars. This is a market that's going to go to twenty to thirty billion dollars. So, like we're we're probably like five percent of the way there uh, in terms of the size of the market. We're now twenty five states. I have complete confidence we're going to see at least forty states, uh, if not forty five states. Uh, so it's going to be a really big market. Um, there's early leaders, uh, obviously, like my old company, Fangio, uh, is the number one in, in most uh, of those markets. Uh, and I, I, I'm pretty bullish. I expect they'll continue to be that. DraftKings is also uh, an early leader, uh, and I think they'll continue to be strong. Uh, the one thing that we're excited with Flick, uh, what we want to bring to the party is, is to bring a social element around it. Uh, if you bet on uh, any of these apps today, like it's great, you can get a bet on it. It's like it's cool. You can bet from your phone. Uh, that's a that's a that's a great experience. But you don't really have this social element of it. And, and the way I explain it to people is, I like imagine going to Vegas and imagine going watching sports and betting on sports and having the whole experience, and then. Imagine doing it, but A, you're not allowed to go with your friends, and B, you're not allowed to talk to anybody when you're there, and you're kind of like, that kind of sucks, right? And so (laughs) what we're trying to do with Flick is to allow you, yes, you'll go and bet, but we want to give you the community you can hang out with, you can chat with, you can share your bets with. That's what we're trying to build. Nigel, uh, this is Mike uh, in Boston. Uh, So what Mm -hmm. separates you or distinguishes you from Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, uh, a regular messaging thread? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, So there's there's really two things. One is that we're purely built for sports. Um, So none of those will have integrated scores and stats. Um, uh, They are, you know, they're just not really built for that. And then secondly, uh, and, and they're only 
there are only sports fans in there. So if you're in AFTV, which is our, one of our big Arsenal groups, there's only Arsenal fans in there. And so um, it's not going to be like today if you were in you know, Twitter, you're going to be deluged with political chat. And really, a lot of time you just want to chat about your team. Um, and so that's the first one. Build for sports uh, with fans of your team. And then number two is built for live. Um, so uh, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, Reddit, not really built for live. Twitter is. It's, it's pretty good at live, um, but it's not very good at chat. Like, it's kind of more sort of commenting and somebody comments and that comments. Uh, whereas Flick is built for live chat. So you're in there. It's a bit more like Twitch, uh, if you're familiar with that mm-hmm. platform, where it's live chat about an event that's happening right now. So those are really the two big differences. Nigel, how do you make money? Yes, yeah, so we've uh, we've partnered with MGM, uh, Bet MGM, which is, is the number three operator in, in the U.S. market, um, and so we basically what we're planning to do is integrate with that uh, platform, and so we, they will revenue share with us uh, users who hang out on Flick, but then bet on MGM. And so it is reliant on sort of the the betting ecosystem, just so I understand it, understand it. Okay, so why not with your uh, your former uh, friends over at Fanduel? Um, honestly, MGM, like we really evaluated everyone and, and we thought that MGM had the best platform for us uh, in that it had a had an API that we could integrate with. And so we could provide a completely uh, seamless experience between uh, for our user to go over to MGM so they can actually start the bet on us. They complete an MGM. They can come back to us and we actually can track their bet within our app. So the, uh, MGM, we just, you know, they, their platform as it stands today, it was much better for that. I was reading your bio. Flick is an Edinburgh-based video game and social streaming platform. Obviously, I get what the social streaming platform is about, but what's the video game part of it? <laughs> yeah, that may be a, a, a you know a little bit of a legacy from the past. We actually looked at gaming uh, a couple of years ago uh, when we were developing this platform, and we were honestly we were really inspired by Twitch. Uh, and Discord, and said they, these are tools that gamers use to chat and hang out with each other's online. And we were like, well, why don't sports fans have these tools? Like, why isn't there a Discord or a Twitch for sports? And so we really took those ideas and brought it over to sports. Nigel, I keep seeing the term up here, sports influencers that will uh, engage with mm-hmm. your fans. Uh, just, just define a sports influencer for someone who yeah. doesn't know what it is. Yeah, that, that's something else that we sort of discovered in the last uh, year is our groups really are, are typically led by what we would call influencer. That would be somebody typically who is on YouTube or Instagram who has a following of between 10 or 100,000 uh, fans. Um, and they're some of the really big ones are like AFTV or United Stand. So uh, AFTV, Robbie, who, who runs that, and he will get hundreds of thousands of views on his YouTube videos. And he'll do... Like he will do like sort of fan chat or like he'll talk to fans. He'll do watch along. So you can kind of watch him on YouTube with his friends watching Arsenal. Um, And so that's an example of a, you know, pretty successful influencer. Like they're really at scale. But then some of them are, say, um, uh, or one of our big Cowboys groups has got a, a Cowboys Instagram group. He's got a, you know, 20 or 30,000 followers there. But he wanted a platform uh, uh, where he could chat with, the, you know, with the people in his group during games, and so he created a, a group on Flick. 
so he's he's an influencer. He's you know he's got twenty thirty thousand followers on on Instagram, and he he brought them over to Flick. And so, Nigel, what is your relationship with those teams and those clubs ultimately? Are you just adjacent mm-hmm. to them, or is there a business relationship? So there there isn't today. We're, we have we've had a number of teams reach out to us uh, because what they're looking at is. Um, well, you know, next season uh, doesn't look great for them in that, you know, for example, the NBA, they're now looking and saying, well, look, you know, do we start on Christmas, you know, right. in December, do we start in January? But, you know, probably doesn't matter because we're not going to have fans in the stadium. Obviously, there's a big revenue hit, but they're also, and this is an interesting thing, they're also really worried about fan engagement. Are they going to see, are they going to see ratings decline? Are they, are their season ticket holders not going to come back for the following season because they've kind of lost interest? Are they not going to bring in sort of younger members? So they're sort of saying, how do we, how do we keep people engaged even though we can't get into the stadium? And so we have started talking to some teams about them setting up what I guess would in a way would be an official group uh, of their fans. And so we're having those discussions right now. We, we actually, uh, we've not launched any of those yet. Mm. I, I, think it, I think it makes sense uh, for them, but we'll, we're, that, we'll have to wait and see. All right. Stay tuned for more of our conversation with Nigel Eccles. We're going to talk more about what Flick is doing in the broader sports ecosystem. Also, what happens when maybe we do get those fans back in stands and how the relationship may change. So, Nigel, timing is everything in life, as you probably know. Uh, And clearly, we got sports back. But as you were talking about earlier in our conversation, fans aren't back yet. They are Mm -hmm. looking for ways to engage. Presumably, that's been good for you. Uh, mm-hmm. How do you ensure that your folks sort of stick around when they are able to get back into the arenas? Yeah, it has um, it has been quite fortunate timing for us in that you know, Flick is an app that allows you to hang out with other fans. And the situation today is you can't go to stadiums, you can't even really go to uh, sports bars. And so it's definitely an accelerant for us. Um, we think the fan experience on Flick is going to be one that people are going to get used to that experience. Um, you know, the vast majority, for example, uh, Arsenal, um, you know, you can only fit 50, 60,000 people into the Arsenal stadium, but Arsenal has good millions of fans. And so, um, yes, there are groups of people who are, you know, otherwise we'd be in the stadium, but even when that opens up again, those millions of fans uh, are going to want a way to connect and, and flick, we think, is like the best way to do that. So we definitely, you know, we definitely think there's an opportunity to kind of um, to really market this for those people who otherwise would be in, in, in the stadium. But we think the market's actually much bigger than that sort of 50,000 people. So I love the social streaming part of it and where people like me, Detroit Lions fans, we can go to one site. So all four of us are in there. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, Jason and Lynchy come in and then they want to talk smack about the Atlanta Falcons and the New England Patriots. I have no idea what you're talking about. How, how do you police that? And what what advice do you have and, and what uh, yeah. do you take uh, to do something about that? Yeah, it's a really good point. Probably one of the biggest challenges here is building a social product in sports is uh, how do you deal with the passion? The passion is great, right? You want the passion. You want people coming back every day. You want them to be really engaged. But it can have a really sort of negative side to it, which is, you, you know, trolling uh, people, you know, purposely being disruptive. Uh, when fans get into rival fans' chat, uh, it can be really messy. We spent... 
probably about a, a year on this. Um, we, uh, we've got some groups that are very strong in Greece, and for some reason, Greek soccer fans love uh, nothing more, well, some do, I'm not doing it, but some do that we had uh, nothing more than trolling other fans. Um, and so we had to learn a lot about how to manage them. Um, and so we put in uh, a lot of controls, um, a lot of ways to sort of protect groups, so ways for that people can quickly moderate them. Um, so, and, and that's been pretty successful. We also like we monitor complaints about uh, you know abusive behaviour and trolling, um, and that's dramatically down. It, it's not been easy. It's probably taken honestly, it's taken about a year to really kind of get on top of that. Um, in terms of the other thing, I would say that has been a real positive is when we start a group with a good host. Um, there's a kind of community feel to it. And so people feel a connection. Um, you know, so if one of you were to create it, um, the listeners would feel a connection with you. And so there'd be a sort of a community from day one. So that meant, means that if somebody comes in and wants to be disruptive, everyone in that community would want to say, look, let's, you know, we need to sort this out because we enjoy being in this group. We enjoy being part of it. We feel a sense of community. And so that's a big factor as well. Nigel, I notice you're in 180 different countries, so that spans mm-hmm. everything from football, basketball, baseball, to cricket, soccer, uh, yeah. uh, croquet, um, field hockey. Uh, in what country is your biggest engagement and with what sport? Yeah, so uh, the easy one is sports. Soccer is by far our most significant sport today, and that actually has sort of really driven the geographical uh, diversity of, of the product. Um, the U.S., surprisingly, is actually the number one, uh, but it's only about a, a quarter of our user base, and a lot of that is actually for soccer. And Whenever we someone creates a new group or a soccer group and they say, hey, what's your name, where are you from? You just see this diversity of, like, you know, all across the U.S., you see U.K., you know, you'll see uh, Europe, you'll see Indonesia, you'll see Nigeria. Um, and it's just, like, you see the diversity of, say, the Arsenal fans or diversity of Man United fans. Uh, that's what we're seeing. So just really, really spread out. Um, the biggest groups are largely in English-speaking. Um, but we do have a number of non-English-speaking groups. Uh, as I mentioned before, we have a number of uh, quite large Greek groups. Uh, we actually have uh, groups in non-Roman alphabet, so in Arabic script. Um, there's very big uh, uh, Arabic fan bases uh, for a lot of the Spanish clubs in particular, like Barcelona, Madrid. Um, and so we've, we've got some pretty big groups there. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We're here each and every week at the same time talking to the biggest names in sports. I'm Jason Kelly alongside Mike Lynch and Michael Barr. Let's get back to our conversation with Nigel Eccles. He is co-founder and CEO of the sports chat app, Flick, co-founder and former CEO of fantasy sports and betting platform FanDuel. A lot of attention being paid to this space right now. We know that to be true. And there's a lot of sort of tie-ups, I guess, that have happened here Nigel, and I wonder when you look around the ecosystem, as it were, and you think about the tie-up between Barstool and Penn National, what do you take away from that, for instance, in terms of how these, for lack of better terms, sort of content betting marriages can work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting phenomena, and we've seen uh, DraftKings with ESPN, we've bar- seen Barstool with Penn. Um, it, I think it under, underlines a sort of a strength and, and a weakness of, of the sports betting uh, business. Um, so the strength is 
it's very profitable. Um, and we see this in Europe. These, these companies are very successful. They, they turn sports betters into cash, um, for want of a better word. Um, and uh, the, the, the weakness, though, of the industry is that it's, it's generally undifferentiated, and, and it's expensive to acquire customers. And by that, I mean undifferentiated. I mean, you know, you go on to DraftKings or FanDuel or William Hill Sportsbook, and they're not really that different. There are differences. So FanDuel's got a better and running product than, than DraftKings, um, but well, I think DraftKings will fix that. Um, and we've seen in Europe, it's been quite hard for people to, like, kind of have something that's really distinctively different you know, to become like, you know, the Google of betting, which everyone would love to be, but nobody is, and then no one sort of sort of managed to prove that. And then the second problem there is that it's just very expensive to acquire. Um, so, for example, uh, we've seen in, in the U.S. already that, you know, fans on DraftKings are paying $400, $500, maybe more, uh, to acquire customers. Uh, and it takes them years to pay that customer back. And so way around that, or is for them is to basically partner with a brand like a bar stool or an ESPN who has those customers. And so they're like, okay, you know, instead of just spending, um, you know, millions and millions of dollars trying to acquire these customers, why don't we sort of partner with a brand that has these customers as a way that we can kind of reduce our cost of, of customer acquisition? The growth of esports, it is huge. How mm-hmm. do you guys at Flick play off of that? Yeah, esports is really interesting. Um, actually, esports is a category where the social products are, are really good. Uh, Twitch is a phenomenal product. Um, you know, it can scale. Uh, like uh, a week ago, I watched uh, AOC uh, uh, play Among Us, and I think she had 450,000 concurrent viewers. Um, and the chat was incredibly engaging. You know, it was a very social experience. And so we think esports is great, but we do think their chat platforms are, are actually quite well developed. Um, for us, we are much more focused on traditional sports and, and international sports. But we're you know we're excited about esports, and we we actually think traditional sports can learn a lot from it. And I think is you know it sort of has to learn it you know the engagement in how uh, esports teams are engaging their fan base. How you know if you think about esports. You can have a player in your team, you know, you, you can have one of your players in your team who actually plays with um, some of their fans on a regular basis, is streaming regularly. And you, you think about, well, imagine that like in traditional sports where, um, you know, you can't have a, your quarterback, your team just, you know, going and regularly playing with just some fans. It doesn't really work like that. That's happening in esports. Um, and so I think the engagement that they're seeing in esports is something that traditional sports need to look closely at and try and kind of bring over. And they also need to look at the tools that esports is using and say, how do we translate that over to traditional sports? Nigel, what are you seeing for a growth rate for Flick? Um, so we've been growing uh, very rapidly over the you know, since about June, it's sort of about fifty percent month on month. Um, we're, you know, we we want that to continue. Uh, actually, surprisingly, as a community, you don't want to grow too quickly. Um, so that's fast. Um, but what you often see is if a, if a community app grows super quickly, you lose that sense of community. 
and people will come in and you call an industry, it's called a shark fin. You basically go up super fast, and then everyone's like, <laughs> the, well, the joke is, is that no one goes there anymore, it's too crowded. Um, it's kind of true. If, if you've got too many people coming in and there isn't a sense of community, then people will abandon it very quickly. And so we're very focused at growing at a, in a fast compound rate, but not not suddenly throwing a ton of users at it where they don't really feel a sense of identity with the other people in the community and and then they and then the whole thing sort of degrades into like a, you know a bad experience Nigel, we, we've talked about a lot of different folks in this broader, and I know I keep using this term, ecosystem, but talk to us a little bit about athletes. I feel like 2020, mm-hmm. we will look back on as this kind of seminal moment in athlete empowerment, but also athletes yeah. more and more taking uh, more interest in their own business, their own brand. Mm-hmm. We're seeing legislation, as you know, here in the United States, even mm-hmm. around college athletes. So mm-hmm. how does an athlete sort of get involved in this? Because safe to say anything related to sports betting gets a little tricky when it comes to athletes of all stripes yeah it's true like there is a very interesting trend in athletes particularly true with with basketball um and that is a trend where essentially the athletes call the shots right and where the athletes in effect like you know, to what extent in 10 years' time are you supporting that team? Or are you supporting, are you following a particular athlete? And like LeBron's kind of set the mold here where people are sort of followed around every team and suddenly they're a Lakers fan. And, you know, a couple of years ago they were a Cleveland fan. Um, and NBA in particular, the you can you know in a lot of ways the off season is more exciting than the the actual season because in the off season that's when the athletes get together and they say okay they do a sort of a trading game to try and build a you know champion championship winning uh, team um, NBA is a little special like that it would be much harder to do that in football um, you know there is some of that in football but uh, NBA has been uh, has been really important on that uh, the other thing that we've seen again, particularly MBA, is where they've been investing in technology, and they've also been really driving engagement with fans. They've been very socially aware um, and sort of aware of kind of technology trends and how right. they sort of need to adapt it. So I, I, we're seeing a lot there. And the, you know, what does this mean in the long run? I, I just think it means that athletes become much more powerful at the expense, in a sense, of teams. And, and the teams and leagues like the NBA – well, everyone says how successful they've been. Part of that has been by accepting that they no longer call the shots. Right. That they kind of like, if we think of the restart of the NBA and they, you know, they nearly had a mutiny in their hands, they basically said, you tell us, it was kind of looked like to me, like, you tell us what's important to us and we'll do it. Right. Um, you know, and that was, that really is interesting. Like, it's, that's a huge shift from, from 10 years ago. So let me follow that if I can and talk a little bit more about the NBA because it also feels like, and and you know this far better than I, so keep me honest, it feels like the NBA and specifically Adam Silver have been maybe a little more progressive, as it were, Mm -hmm. a little more open than maybe some of the other leagues, even when it comes to sports betting and sharing mm-hmm. data and all of those things. Do I have that right? And, and what are the yeah, implications of that? Yeah, and so, you know, famously in 2000 and uh, I think it was 2015, uh, maybe even 2014 actually, Adam Silver wrote an op-ed saying legalize sports betting. And he said, look, it's, it's not that this is not happening. It is happening, but it's happened illegally. We should open it up. And at that stage, the NFL was still opposed. The other leagues were 
you know, ambivalent, or they were, you know, they were publicly opposed, but privately, maybe somewhat supportive. So he's from the very start has been supportive of it. So I'm going to be the guy that's going to make a fool of himself. And I thought I heard you say it when we were talking about esports, and you mentioned AOC. Mm-hmm. Are we talking about Congresswoman AOC? Yes, yes. The, the, the newly AOC. reelected, yeah. It, the newly wow. Reelected AOC, yes, yes. Wow, it, it, that's interesting. <laughs> Which brings me to the next point. That's got to help uh, with a strategy of you engaging, trying to get younger fans. Yeah, like you know, she, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, when I watched, I watched it with my seven-year-old daughter. I, I sort of thought it was, you know, it's quite a seminal moment. You sort of think about sort of back in history when, uh, like, uh, Roosevelt used radio, right, to connect with voters. Right. Um, you know, here she was uh, playing a game that's incredibly popular among us, which is a lot of fun and you know, rampantly popular uh, among a sort of a, a younger demographic. Um, and she was using it to sort of connect with fans. We've seen um, a, a number of sports stars, you know, play uh, Madden or FIFA, actually, incredibly popular among the NFL, as a way to connect with their fans. Um, so, yeah, we, we are seeing these platforms, and we're going to see an increased trend there. Nigel, a quick final question from me here. Do you need or want a partnership with the professional sports leagues? Um, we don't know. <laughs> I guess the, the, sh- the short answer is no. Like we're we're always open to working with them. Um, we, it, I, one of the things that so leagues. One of the things about the leagues is this isn't a criticism. It's a kind of an observation. Is leagues typically focused on harvesting the brand that they have. Uh, you know, I'd say it's 90% focused on harvest as opposed to 10% on growth, right? Um, I think the NBA is the best league in that they maybe are maybe 70% harvest, 30% growth, um, and so they're willing to take bats, they're willing to, like, work with startups. Um, and so when a startup, you know, when the, the league says we want to work with you, it, it typically means that you're handing over a, a large bundle of cash in order to, you know, in some way have the... Um, you know the brand or the value of the league kind of you know grace upon your on your property. Um, we're not really about that. We're really about connecting fans, um, and so having we don't really aspire to have sort of an official status. Um, but where teams and leagues think that we can provide value, then absolutely we'd love to work with them. But we're not. It's not something we seek. All right, we're going to leave it there. Nigel Eccles, thank you so much. Really interested to see what happens from here because we know it's fast growing. We know there are a lot of partnerships happening. And this, uh, and I keep using this word, but I think it's the right word. This ecosystem is growing and changing. And certainly this pandemic has accelerated a lot of what's going on in the world of media and in the world of sports betting. That is Nigel Eccles. He is the co-founder and CEO of Flick. So, guys, uh, interesting conversation, definitely a crowded space, and, you know, they are making their way, that partnership, I think, with MGM, the fact that they apparently were able to get some economics from MGM that they weren't able to get from his previous company is is sort of interesting. I do wonder how you hang on to everything when life gets uh, somewhat back to normal, Lynchy. Yeah, I agree. Um, when people start going to the stadiums, uh, he's got the perfect setup right now. Everybody's at home. Yeah. And people are just thumbing through their phones, looking for anything all day long. And 
know, the one thing he's, that stuck with me is that, you know, he wanted to bring the social element to sports betting. And um, I can just see uh, it's perfect right now. If you want to be happy, you want to be happy with your friends. And when your team is doing bad, you want you all want to be miserable together. Right. Be like Michael Barr and all his uh, Detroit Lions fans, you know, sitting there and being miserable as the Indianapolis Colts are stomping all over him like last Sunday afternoon. That's a, that's a you know? tough look from a Pats fan Troll. right now. I'm just saying. Uh, um, should we should I should I just say Cam Newton or can we just let that go unsaid? Just saying. Four game losing streak. Yeah. Two and five. Yeah. yeah exactly. So those those who live in glass Gillette stadiums maybe shouldn't throw uh, shouldn't throw stones. All right, Bard, this is your wheelhouse. What'd you make of it? I, I, when he said AOC and he was talking about during the esports segment, the first thing was running through my head is like, okay, what sports figure? AOC, AOC, AOC. <laughs> and then it dawned on me, he's like, no, that he's AOC. talking about Congresswoman AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And I'm like, wow. Now that's something to, to help engage fans uh, on your platform. I was impressed by that. Yeah, I, uh, I, I was... I came away more impressed than I expected to be in the sense that obviously this guy knows the sports betting landscape, the the electoral map that we're obviously all obsessed with when it comes to the presidency uh, right now as we tape this on election hangover morning with where things are still undecided. Um, but you know there were there has been some relatively quiet uh, progress when it comes to sports betting, and you know as I alluded to. Uh, the pandemic certainly has accelerated a lot of this. It has been very good for business for the DraftKings and the FanDuel's, uh, and and clearly the flicks of the world. So we'll see where this ends up. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first start wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. <laughs> You know what that laugh means. (laughs) Time now for the number of the week. And I'm going to one of my favorite topics. I I always love talking about these. Famous sports figures and selling their oh homes. Oh boy, here we go. Oh. Yeah, this is this is like your your thing. This I, is your jam. In I love it. And, and when I saw this this week, I'm like, oh, I got the Done. number of the week right here. Uh, Yankees great former reliever Mariano Rivera. He is selling his home in Rye, New York. Now I'm going to describe the home. It was built in 2006. It's a colonial. Eight bedrooms, eight bathrooms, and one half bath, over 13,000 square feet, according to the listing. Uh, it has a grand entry and dual staircases. Now, oh, and six fireplaces throughout the home. Mm. How much, as you know, this is what he's asking for to sell this. Now, who wants to start first? Now, where, where is the house now? It's, it's in, in Rye. Rye, New York. Oh, so right. this is the it's the east side of Westchester County. It's oh, the so I live right. on the west side. This we're talking about the fancy side now. Yeah, this is the affluent part. All right. So Jason could hit a three wood right to for, to rise from his house, right? So that's <laughs> no. an unfair advantage right there. I'm already throwing a pro the uh, red flag. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Challenge is, flag. Yeah, I feel like we're in the presidential race right now. Um, <laughs> let's see. I'm gonna go since it is in my backyard. Um, I'll go with 3.75 mil. Lynchy? Uh, I'm going to top that. I'm going to go 4 million. Wow. 
$3.995 million is what he's selling it I think for. on Price is Right rules, I win. You, oh, yes, that's true. <laughs> that's, you know, that's say. true. He didn't, uh, Jason didn't go over, man. Didn't go over. He went just gun. over, Lynchy. <laughs> uh, uh, that, is, that is the Price is Right rule. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Price is Right rules. It's a so. tough beat for you, yeah. I have to say. You win all the time. You got to give me one. And I mean, <laughs> listen, but, but also, you have the perfect excuse. You're like, yeah, it's in the county that he lives in. Of course he should know this. So you can, you know, you you can you're still sitting pretty lynchy. No oh, no one's really no one's really threatening your title here. I I sort of bumble into one every now and again. I think that much is proven. That, it's a yeah, nice but you, you you get to come on down on this show. Yeah, I don't exactly. get to come on down. That's true. When you said four million, I'm like, oh, oh yeah. Gonna, oh, <laughs> Who hosts man. the prices right these? Is it Drew Carey? It's Drew Carey yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, Drew Carey, yeah. I miss Bob Barker. Oh, Have your pet spayed and neutered. <laughs> See, you guys are usually the ones who are like the throwback references. That oh, yeah. That's what I would like if I was homesick from school, like Price is Right. That's what I was watching. Anyway, <laughs> showcase showdown. All right. Good one. Good one. Uh, the Price of Real Estate by, via Michael Barr. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week for you at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcast. Those drop every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I'm Jason Kelly. You can find me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch. I'm never going to overbid on a property for Michael Barr ever again. <laughs> and you can find me at LynchyWCBB. And we're playing Plinko next week. I'm Michael Ooh. Barr on Twitter at BigVarSports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports, Bloomberg Radio, around the world. <laughs>